0: Hi, I'm Sean Horn, founder and CEO of Bebel.ie. So, what is Bebel? Well, it's a place of positivity. It's a place where you can be happy, be kind, be bold, feel supported and encouraged to fulfil your dreams. So, join us on social at Bebel.ie for future events and upcoming podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Bebel Podcast with myself Sean Horn. So today's interview is with one of the b OGs, one of the originals. She's been with us since the beginning. She has been always, always a number one supporter and contributor to b Um, If you watch her stories, you'd think she's an extremely regimented person, but there is a reason behind everything. And that's what you'll find out today. So today I am delighted to introduce the fabulous Neve Lee. How are you, Neve? I'm good. How are you? I am very well. And I'm such a pleasure, do you know what, to have you on because you've been with us um, and part of Bebop for such a long time. I was just so delighted to actually eventually get you onto the podcast. Honoured, honoured.
1: I always said it was something that I would love to do because I think even all of you have all seen the progression of me from over the past couple of years. So I think to sit here now in, in this stance is lovely.
0: Yeah, no, it is. And, and I was saying, actually, I did a couple of interviews this morning and I was saying this morning, it's so funny how how you watch people, you know, through a screen, through glass on, on a zoom, but actually people's energy does come through Mm -hmm. and, and you're definitely one of those people. I think, you know, when, when you speak people listen um people that have followed you for a long time you've had a real impact on them um and I don't know if sometimes even if you realize how big that impact is
1: I don't think so no I don't
0: think so I think
1: what I share comes from a very creative space it kind of you know it's almost like I don't even look at it as a platform I never really look at it as who I'm reaching out to I'm like oh what's on my mind now this morning or you know What helped me now? Or if I wake up and I feel a little bit kind of unsettled, I'm like, what would help me? And I just share that then with always the intent that there's bound to be one person that picks up on it. Yeah. And that's what
0: it is, isn't it? For it to resonate with one person. And I think it's really apparent as, as we look at sort of what you do on a daily basis. You know that you've done a lot of work on yourself and it's and you know this podcast is all about the story I suppose and how you got to where you are today so where did it all begin for you like where were you born how did it all start here Ireland Cork um
1: born little blonde haired brown-eyed wild child they called me um motor mode actually was my nickname surprisingly enough at home um But I think I was always that kind of, that creative child, you know, that kind of happy-go-lucky, bouncing around music. Very much the person that I put out there now was the person I was born as. But I think, unfortunately, through life or through whatever, she got lost in the midst of it all. And it's kind of like re-becoming her again. But all of this, I suppose, began, like, everybody has a story, don't, don't.
0: Absolutely. But but at that age, when you were that blonde-haired, brown-eyed little girl, was there siblings? Did you have brothers and sisters? I
1: had an older sister. Yeah, I had an older okay. sister. She's two and a half years older than me.
0: So two and a half years is quite a short a small gap. And I know actually there's two years and seven months between me and my older sister, and we were extremely close growing up. Were you the oh, same?
1: Oh my god. You know what? Actually, we met a babysitter a couple of weeks ago and she said. I always remember the two of a year, the two sisters that always stand out, that you never competed with each other, that you were always so happy for each other that no matter if Maria got off the bus and I was waiting for her, my my face would light up. And I'm still that way. Like if I know she's calling at 33, I'm out the window. I'm like, oh, there she is. Yeah. Here she is, you know. So close, like so close. And we've been through so much together like we've been through so so much together and we've always come out the other side of it and she's just a massive support system she's she's incredible
0: she's incredible amazing you you, I was just going to say did you like the same thing so growing up and when you were at school like where did you gravitate to oh
1: I was potty pockets and barbies and dolls and you know rubbing my nan's lipstick and Marie was very musical and create very creative we we both stemmed from creativity but I think that comes from our parents they both work with their hands my dad's a mechanic is always on the go mom is a baker you know she's a chef so it was naturally in us you know it was naturally in us Maria is just the most fantastic musician I mean she can listen to a song on the radio and she just has it off straight away strumming the guitar like like that just yes sheer raw talent and I suppose she was really really quiet and yeah she was very quiet but just had such a massive impact on my life you know I remember growing up and she'd have a job and I was like smaller and she'd get a tenner or a fiver every week on a Friday and she'd always buy me a magazine at the end of the week with a little poly pocket or something and you know so different but so similar we just we gravitated towards each other which was lovely it was lovely.
0: I think I think it's it's so important isn't it and um so as you moved, I suppose, as you as you got a bit older and you like, did you go to girls school, mixed school? How did you enjoy school?
1: All girls um, didn't like school at all at all. No, I didn't like school. I suppose I always felt, I always felt off. Oh, I can't, do you ever look back and you think like there was always something a little bit different about me? I suppose I struggled to fit in from a very young age, even though I was quite loud and outlandish and I think that was more of a coping mechanism I think that was real. the funnier yeah. that I am it was, you know I suppose I was quite heavy growing up as well I suppose I was quite heavy and there was always well it was never highlighted there was always remarks and comments and you know you'd hear people chatting and on when you're walking into school and I suppose the funnier I was the more accepted that I would be or you know follow the crowd if I nodded and smiled and agreed with everything um I'd fit in. I just, I, I always had this undying need to fit in, and it didn't didn't really matter where I fit it into. Once I fit in, I'd be fine, you know. And
0: it's difficult, you know, and going up. Yeah, with that need to fit in, did you did you float around different groups of friendship groups, or did yeah. you find you stuck with one? No, I floated massively, massively, and
1: it's like, you know, even I often remember my man saying, you know, of like. One or two good friends is really, really important. You know, you don't have to be everybody's friend. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not. You know, I'm not everybody's friend. But it was just there. I don't know. Maybe it was a self. I think it was a self esteem thing. Like looking back now, at what I know now, and having went on the journey that I've been on. You know, I would have left myself very open and very exposed and very vulnerable to getting hurt a lot of the time, purely because I didn't believe I was worthy enough of a good friend or you know from that maybe that bullying aspect of like if I fit in with plenty of other groups it wouldn't be as highlighted as the fact that you know yeah called out on for being heavier for being called a nasty name you blend in I think that's what I wanted to do I blended in I'm so afraid of standing out and
0: so the bullying that you felt came from from your weight yeah yeah and, and yeah. what would people what would people say like I, I mean I, I've been there I understand that
1: just like that like fatty like silly things if we went swimming like be careful of her jumping in the water there'll be none left um flubber remarks just yeah. just constant it felt constant you know and it was it, it just got exhausting after a while you know where you do just kind of want to blend in and you do just you bec- i think you become that person i think you almost fall into this society where it's like here i am that person that's what they believe to be true about me and
0: you know I just leave myself open to it and so consciously were you aware you know obviously you're aware of your size and you're aware of what people were saying was there something that you felt you could do about it or or you just felt the only way you could deal with it was that comedy side and that fitting in
1: i think it was that comedy side no i had great support like i had yes. amazing support like oh my uh, the best mother and father in the world like if i said i want to join piano i would have a piano i want to join basketball i'd have a basketball and in it I want to join tennis, I'd have a tennis racket and a tennis ball, like it was never, it was never down to that, you know, it was never down to not having the support, I want to join Weight Watchers, Grand, come on, we'll bring her along to Weight Watchers, I'd say they used to be pulling their teeth out from me, like, with everything, but just flippant, I think I was very, like, I could never settle into one thing, so I'd flip from one thing to another, to maybe somebody might like me if I fall in here, maybe I might be liked if I fall in here, but... Never really settling in anywhere, I suppose, never, never understanding myself. I think that's what it comes down to. I never really kind of understood the kind of person that I was.
0: But I think at that age as well, and as we grow up and as we, you know, we're teenagers, I think it's really difficult. we are asked to make a lot of choices that we don't really understand yet, do we?
1: Which do we have to clue? like and then bring all the female hormones and the health into it and your cycle and all these like different clockworks are starting to kick off and you're experiencing these things and that's another spanner in the work like that's a whole other aspect of life that you have to get used to that's still not even highlighted from 12 13 14 is that yeah we're going through a massive change but we need to be very aware of hormones like you know and it's it's now having gone through all of it i'm like okay Straight away, even with clients, I'm like, "Let's carve out your cycle. Let's talk about your cycle before we talk about anything else. Because if we nail that down, we can navigate around your month. Then, because we're four different women within the one month, you know, yes. are, you know, when that that female feel good hormone drops out, our sexy goes. We're horrible. We're awful. We're disgusting. And then the following week, we could take on the world. Sure, I'm going
0: Victoria's secrets model. I know what you're talking about. Cindy Crawford comes out of the woodwork oh, yeah. and off we go. It, it is so true and I suppose so with all that taken into account and everything coming at you um did you have any sort of clue did you did you always have a dream of doing something or being something something as you grew up I think so yeah I think so now now that I look back I
1: think unintentionally or maybe indirectly it was always building on something like I always knew that I loved people you know no matter what position or job that I was put into be it from a mobile chipper van when I was 15 to super value onto salons to pharmacy technician to where I am now it was always about the person the person the person the person and I think even I actually met a lady a couple of weeks ago and she said to me were you the girl that worked in super value and like this is 15 years ago and I yeah. said um, there was a lot of people who worked in super and I said do you remember my dad and as we were speaking I said oh my god yeah I do and I said you always had a kind word for him like you always had a kind word for him and I was like maybe deep down inside I did know that this was what was for me you know this was and maybe that's why maybe I blended through so many roles as well in school that like the more people that I could be around the more that I could maybe help the more that I could support the more that I could guide Um. So I think, yeah, I think even, you know, training as a pharmacy technician and that really opened my eyes, I suppose, and exposed me to a world of different people, you know, and people with different struggles and it was never about simply handing over the medication. Like as everybody always said to me, you'll find her at the other side of the counter. She, I couldn't stand behind till like I just, or the computer, like, I mean, if you put me in behind the dispensary, I was just, I'd answer my pants. I was like, I just, I'm just gonna pop out there for one second to to see is, in virtual commas, Mrs. Murphy okay, you know? Um, It was always about the person, always, always. And then when this opportunity came up, I suppose to actually, do it in the way that I'm doing it, I just, out of a plane, without a parachute, I didn't even think about it. I was like, yeah.
0: But you've always worked and, you know, and, you know, whether it's been in Super Valley or the pharmacy, but what about you as you grew up? What about you? How did, you know, what What did you do to develop yourself? How did you meet your your, to soon be husband, you know, your husband? Like, what about you behind that learning about other people?
1: You know, I suppose through all that, I was kind of learning about myself. Like I said, like I said, I always felt like there was something a little bit off in me. I always felt like there was something a little bit just different. I think a lot of people feel that. I think a lot of people feel that, you know, Um, but even in school, I suppose, like even looking back at like being in maths, like I hadn't a clue what was happening inside in that class, like never had a notion, but instead of kind of asking like while you're exploring it a little bit more you know I just kind of sat back and sat out of it and just thought that if I ignored it for long enough it would go away you know this whole you you never want to stand out you don't especially when it comes to your weaknesses like you never want to stand out and I suppose learning about myself really came from I suppose having Alex, like meeting Stuart, you know, falling pregnant—that was an extremely difficult journey, like a
0: really, really difficult journey. How old were you when you met your your husband? I was. Oh, you're testing. you know how old. Twenty-three. Okay. No, sorry, twenty-six. Twenty-six. Okay. Yeah. And so, so when you met, and and how old is that? So how long have you been together before you fell pregnant?
1: So we were together just over about a year and a half. Okay with alex um so it was quite fast well fast in some kind of circumstances you know give or take but i suppose i had come from a really rocky period in my life i was living in australia and i had developed an eating disorder okay
0: um,
1: and i don't think I ever fully recovered from that when i fell pregnant with alex so i found it extremely difficult because i lost all control of my body
0: And can I ask how that showed itself, that disorder? When I was pregnant. Before you fell pregnant, obviously in Australia, you had the issue with the eating disorder, but how did did that come around and how did you deal with it being so far away from home? I think, I think I always
1: struggled like I was always in and out of Weight Watchers and I was always you know trying something in the next best diet and I never fully understood that it was actually my mindset needed more looking at that you know I was at my lowest weight like not eating hadn't eaten in months and months and months and I still wasn't happy with what I was looking at you know so it was very much mindset based um, and lack of control, I think, you know, I had an accident in Australia and I was in crutches and there was a lot that went on. We had lost my uncle over there as well. There was a, um, a massive void, a massive death in the family. And I think we were just so far away. And it all, I always say, like, sometimes I never remember looking back and seeing one big, massive standalone problem, but just an accumulation of stuff that got out of control and never really got looked at. And then just one day, it was just, the line was so fine that I just woke up and I was like, I'm not eating. I was like, if I, if I can't, because I suppose being in Australia, I had lost a little bit of weight and you're very exposed and you know, but I was still quite confident because I don't think I ever, you know, I was a very healthy size 12 to 14. I was very happy. I was very confident in my body. You know, I was exercising, I was moving. Nothing was an effort to me. I'd wear anything and that kind of accumulation you know of everything loss of control I suppose yeah. you know I, I couldn't move um Janet passed away you know there had been other illnesses in the family it's quite difficult like everything everyone thinks you're living the dream and that's like Instagram versus reality you know and I always say that now just because what I put out there is what I put out there daily doesn't mean that behind the screen I still don't struggle or that I don't suffer I just yeah. choose not to be like the news and bring everyone down with a bang yes and yeah I think that was it there was just something in me snapped and just it's so fine I'd never be able to explain how fine it was but come back from it was it was exhausting it was absolutely exhausting
0: and and did you deal with that in Australia or or did you feel you needed to come home to deal with it
1: Mm oh I thought nobody knew what was happening you know you get so clever at lying, you get, You think you're so clever at lying, you think you're so, you know, at this stage my hair was falling out, I'd lost my period, you know, I was very, very unwell and I had decided to come home anyway and when, when I got off the plane expecting everyone to be there for me, there was nobody. I was like, where is everybody? Nobody's waiting for me, I was like, I've been gone for so long and the next thing I saw my aunt coming towards me, the minute I saw her I knew something had gone wrong I was like there's something after happening and we got back home and again nobody was there and I suppose on the plane on the way home I was like I knew myself I was like this has to stop you know you're not going to be okay if this doesn't stop you know you're unwell. You know
0: how had it gone Nave? What size were you? Were... Oh I was I, uh,
1: maybe a kind of a six to an eight.
0: So that must have been a shock even for your auntie to come and meet you at the airport and to see oh, the difference.
1: For everybody, yeah, for everybody, like it was really, you know, but I think more so, I think like, you know, I'd be kind of an eight to ten now, so I just think it was my face, I think it was how it dropped the bags under my eyes, you know, just ill, just looked, you know, I couldn't concentrate, I I couldn't talk, I was on edge all the time, so it was a shock for everyone. Now, I was in Australia with my sister, so I had no doubt that it had filtered home. Yeah. Yes. um but as it turns out then when I got off the plane at home my dad had actually had a massive heart attack so he was up in hospital so that big kind of that big chat that I'd given myself was not gone by the wayside but again loss of control because this my hero this man that I adored having had lost my uncle the year before yeah. with heart issues I was like here we go again like you know it's you're straight back into it you know you're straight back into that feeling of loss of control of death of everything and you know once he kind of came around and he came out and then it was really like it was addressed from day one and it was a struggle like I look back now and even now dealing with parents of with children who have eating disorders and dealing with people presenting you know I can only help to a certain extent it's outside of my book we refer on you know I can now feel the sadness of like my mom crying at home just you know having a bowl of cereal or something you know just willing like willing you to eat something you know it's so sad and I I think maybe that's what's given me all of these experiences have made me such an more empathetic I think towards people who I just have a vast understanding of it's not simply about motivation or it's not simply no, about absolutely it.
0: something has to trigger doesn't it and where, where do you think that trigger was for you to 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 actually do the work and to find out where the core issue was
1: I don't think I was okay really until three years ago until I could go no more like I had even even through pregnancy you felt yeah, I struggled massively it's amazing and it always amazes me is that the day that I found out that I was pregnant, I had just something instantly in me because beforehand I'd had my own issues with pregnancy and whatever, and I suppose that had stemmed from the eating disorder and being told, you know, look, you might not be able to carry, you might not be able to 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 have children, you know, going going through it all.
0: Can I ask you, like? that information that you get when you know when there's an issue like an eating disorder and you're told that this could affect your fertility is that something that they tell you because they have investigated it or is it something they tell you to encourage you to make yourself better I had a
1: fantastic doctor I think it came from both elements of yeah I think it came from both elements he was amazing at the time um absolutely phenomenal and maybe part you know i always remember in 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 the march my sister actually came home from australia and like it was a big process like i remember going to tesco with her you know and she was like come on let's Like the support like was just i could eat her i love her so much um you know just being really open and really you know going around tesco and doing a bit of shopping and just kind of gaining it back a little bit but it took a long time for a period to even come back, you know, to even come back. And then when it did, and then I did have a massive bleed, which then turned out to be a miscarriage before I had Alex. Um, and I suppose they even feel strange saying there's People think they know everything about me, but there's been so much that I haven't shared, I suppose, but that's not harm either. Um, but and everyone...
0: Yeah, sorry to interrupt. Miscarriage is a very lonely place, I think, and it's a very individual... Um, experience I know myself none of mine were the same yeah who I know never to comment on anybody else's because it I know how different it can be like how did you two cope how did you cope with that loss
1: I I to be honest I don't think I was fully switched on to it I don't think I don't think I coped like it was spoken about like amazing support like on from Stuart great support I had another female doctor went to different rooms or a different doctor but I kind of I suppose you know what there was there was that responsibility it was as well where not not that I blamed myself but I was like maybe could I have carried it better maybe like you know and like my Nana Collins used to always say you'll be a great little mother and I always thought what if I've given up my opportunity now what if I've given up my opportunity. And that was in the October and in the January, we were actually on holidays and I found out that I was expecting Alex. And like, instantly it was that autopilot. It was like, I am going to do. I'm getting emotional now. (laughs) Everything, you know, like watering that plant. I'm going to do everything that I can to bring you into this world. And, And I did, I swear, it was like, I never had an eating disorder before. It was like, I never knew of the word. If I was hungry, I'd eat. Now I did find the change in my body hard. I found that extremely, extremely hard. Um, but you adapt. I think you adapt for
0: different reasons, um, you know. Do you think of it as doing it for yourself and your health or did you think of it no. you were doing it for him? For him,
1: all, all for him. Like it was never for me. And how I know that is because the second he was out, that black dog was straight back in. It, it just was never dealt with. And I like, I remember, like even his birth was extremely, extremely difficult. And you know ha- after having him, and just straight away that whole mentality kicked back in again, where I was like, I remember saying to the midwife, because I was in hospital for a long time, because he was acting, acting the way he still acts, <laughs> a little maggot, <laughs> a little rascal um and there was a delay in him coming out which meant that he was under serious pressure so I was actually put to sleep to have him so I wasn't awake when he came into the world and I suppose that just added another feeling of failure was like your one job was to get this baby out into the world and you couldn't even do that right so by the time I woke up he was a day and a bit old you know I'd missed everything I'd missed him coming into the world I'd missed his first bottle I'd missed him getting dressed um so much. I felt like I had missed out on so much that just added that feeling again.
0: And was that addressed? Because that must have been such a difficult thing for you.
1: No, no, not really at all. Like, you know, I think it's because I had a midwife up there. Her name was Ruth. I'll never forget her. She was just such a wonderful woman. And, you know, I remember, I remember waking up and then I remember the following day everyone came coming into the hospital. And again, it was loss of control, I think, because everyone was like, oh my God, the baby, the baby this and the baby that. And I was like, what is after happening? Like. I, I went in like that morning I was in the gym and I was I was spinning and I was downtown I was I was down at my Nana's house and we were all like they went downtown they got me a burger they were like you're going to need your fuel now we'll get you ready for it, it was actually the day of the Middleton Food and Drink Festival mm-hmm. I went into labour and sure was up in Dublin playing a rugby match And I was like, I'll hold on away down here now. I'm great. I'm flying. Went went into the hospital. They were like, how are you feeling? I was like, I'm absolutely fine. I don't want anything. I was like, I'm going to shoot this baby out now. And it's going to be great. And I'm going to be back out. And I, I was like, I was so excited. I just had this drive. I was like, not a second chance. But I was like, this is so exciting. I was like, this is so exciting to then... The experience of it was just, I'll never forget her face when she came into the room. My water's broke naturally. No epidural, no nothing. Like, I'd taken two paracetamol at six o'clock that day. This was whatever time that night. And they were saying, are you sure you're fine? I was like, I am ready. I was like, is there any bath available? You know, pure like <laughs> I was like, I'd love to pop down for a bath. I was like, I saw that on the telly before, you know. I was just so positive And I really felt like I'd learned to appreciate my body growing this human and then to have it just drastically like traumatically absolutely ripped away from me was just so traumatizing where even afterwards it was two years down the line and I remember a story came up at home and with Stuart and he said Look, I didn't know if you were dead or alive he said they ran out of the, the room with the baby handed me the baby and ran back into the room again you know it was just so traumatic you know so traumatic and it was never really addressed, I do remember the midwife kind of coming in one night and she sat on the edge of the bed and she said okay and I just I can't, I can't get my head around how I fell asleep and I woke up and now he was there. It just
0: affect your relationship at all?
1: I suppose, not that I was resentful, but I kind of felt like I was robbed of my first, you know, I felt like I was robbed of, you know, I really wanted that opportunity to see him come into the world to see all the good that I'd done. For me, I felt like it was, there was huge healing in it. I felt that there was, you know, I think it it affected more so my relationship with myself, but I actually think that it really affected my relationship with Alex because and that's something that we have massively worked on. if If we're friends on Instagram, you'll see my love for him. I think people listening to this will now understand why my love for him is so vast is because there's been more times than once that tried to save my life, you know, without even realizing it. and but I felt like such a failure. Every time I looked at him, I felt like I'd failed him, you know, every I, and I remember when I was being wheeled into theatre like I was logged in at one o nine, and he was born at one thirteen, so it was really fast it was you know even my incision was just it was not not barbaric but it was just so fast and you know and I remember screaming like screaming not to put me to sleep don't put me to sleep and being held down they were holding me down they would just lie down everything will be fine and I remember anaesthetic and I would say don't because if I ever even if I got a tooth pulled Shannon will be right for days afterwards really oh my god if I took one if I took I can take if I took an antihistamine I would fall asleep I would cry and I knew I was like I knew the minute they said anesthetic this was it that I would lose out on all of this and I think it did affect me I did disconnect from him massively I You know, and but I was a great liar. I was great at going to the doctor and saying, no, I'm fine. You know, he was a raw baby, a real raw baby. And I was back in work by Christmas. He was born the end of September. I was back in work by December. Makeup on, hair up, you know, fantastic. Really just avoiding it because I knew it would swallow me up. I knew if I addressed it, you know, but it was, I definitely disconnected. I felt like I had failed him in so many ways that it just continued to go that way up until that three years ago where I just hit that wall and I couldn't
0: come back when you hit that wall Neve, you know I listen to you and I think god isn't it awful we're so tough on ourselves aren't we (sighs) and sometimes it takes us to hit a wall and and what what actually happened there three years ago as you as that happened to you
1: you know I think it was always bubbling and it was always brewing but it just it really really came to a head I just I had no I couldn't regulate myself emotionally I wasn't sleeping you know I was having panic attacks in the middle of Tesco I was forgetting things I I just was not okay like I just wasn't okay I would went to the doctor and I you know I said I have a pain in my chest I have a chest infection and you know we'd moved into our house as well we had a couple of issues with builders at the time which you know that happens but I just couldn't cope at all all, until I just I collapsed I just that was it I lost all of my senses I remember I was in the job that I was in and I was lucky to be surrounded by so many amazing people but just you know just screaming just screaming just couldn't breathe I was they took me out they brought me upstairs they lay me on the ground and they brought me home, but I went, they actually brought me up to my mother's house because I think they thought that it would be too distressing to bring me back into the environment with Alex. And I fell asleep, but I didn't wake up until the following day. You know, I was so dangerous. Like I was driving home from work, forgetting to and I was burning my hand all the time on the oven. I was, you know, going to sit on the toilet, but missing the toilet and falling off the toilet. I was closing the door on my hand. Like I was a danger to myself. I was walking out in front of cars. I had just lost, I had completely lost it. I just was not okay. Um, and I think that was that was even just the start of it. Where when I went down, I felt like I was just falling down, you know, because I couldn't go anymore. Everyone had seen it. You know, people were stopping me on the street if I was out walking. Are you okay? And I was like, Yeah, I'm great, I'm great. But I never realized, you know, I have a picture that my sister it was it was a Monday morning I was going to the doctor and I actually went down to my nan's house another absolutely incredible just amazing woman and she said you know you know um you know your hair is lovely have you coloured it recently I think is what she said to me and I don't think it hit me until I got into the doctor and you know I sat down and I was trying to explain to her how I was feeling and my sister texts me saying where are you and then just send me a picture of where you were. You know, I don't think I realized how how fragile I was from the outside looking in. And it was when my, my doctor asked me, you know, and, you know, and, you know, how would your personal hygiene be and stuff? And I couldn't remember when I'd had a shower. I just couldn't remember. But I was in work every day with my hair and makeup done. But I couldn't you see yourself. You couldn't, yeah. see You weren't. You couldn't feel it, could you? You couldn't yourself. I had gotten completely and utterly numb. I was just, I was not even angry, but I think I was frustrated. I think I was frustrated. I was kind of, I was giving out a lot. I was very irrational. I was getting upset, you know. If Alex would even look at me, I was starting to cry because I was like, oh my God, I'm doing him such an awful disservice because I can't cope with myself. And I just genuinely didn't know what was happening to me. I looking back now you know I was tormented I would be awake all night long walking around the house I was getting into the car two o'clock in the morning going for spins I was just I had lost it you know if that whole year marbles I had just completely lost it but I thought to a certain extent I do think that I had not been fooled I know they think that there was something going on but it, it always amazes me that I was able to you know I'll, I'll wash my hair now under the tap and like how from the neck up that I could be so presentable but the rest of me was just falling apart. My period was gone again, it, that was gone,
0: you know. So what, what happened there? Like obviously as you, you keep saying and, and you're very lucky that you had so much support around you but what triggers to make the changes that you needed to make?
1: I'm getting emotional again because this is.
0: I'm... Go on, take your time. Um,
1: one day I think me and Alex had like not an argument, but I suppose he needed to get his hair cut, you know, and he just wouldn't allow me to cut his hair. And I'm saying, "Well, come on, let me cut your hair," you know, but he just is a child. He didn't want his hair cut. He didn't like the feeling of his hair cut. And it was the thirteenth of March, and it was a really, really dark thirteenth of March. It was a really, really dark day. And oh, I remember bring, we. I remember bringing him in home and just sitting down. And I just thought, you know what? I was like, fuck it. I was like, if I can't even get his hair cut, would he actually be better off without me? You know, if I can't even carry out simple tasks like this and i suppose like i came around again i was fine i, I came around again and i was fine and i just remember sure coming home and i was like Do you know there, there's bound to be a bit of upset and a bit of aggravation when you know alex was upset from the day as well because he could feel my upset and at that time you know he had such bad eczema i'll never forget it he had such bad eczema and i bought him to the doctor and through no intent of the doctor and on and on, it was never like that, but he's, his neck was destroyed. His behind the backs of his legs were bleeding, patches of his arms. And he said, you know, children can feel um, stress. And I remember driving in from the doctor that week and I was like, oh my fault now, that poor baby's suffering, like, you know, cause he couldn't sleep. I had to get him special pants because he was scratching himself at nighttime or he'd wake up bleeding. And I was like, you know, it's, it's an awful feeling cause I was like, take the thing that's causing stress out of the equation and will it just go you know will it just will his eczema go and I'm out walking that evening and I suppose I left the house never with the intent to do anything you know never with the intent to do anything but with that thought on my mind you know with that thought on my mind and now I walked I was in my senses because I walked around the town do you know I was very you know, I we had been affected as a family by suicide, I had lost great friends through suicide, you know. And so I, I was very
0: aware of it to but, keep myself. But having that thought, did you did you did did you think I need to call someone, I need to ask for help, I need to bring somebody, or did you just feel that the thought was normal?
1: No, I knew it. I, 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 no, I, I think it flashed it flashed very briefly but I suppose more so as I look back now even actually just talking about it now even the whole experience from the doctors coming in from the doctors I was like if you took me out of the equation now would his eczema go away it wasn't logical thinking yeah it's it's not you know and we all know it's not nobody chooses this these kind of things you know um but I still didn't think I feel that I was as far as what I was you know I still didn't Um, and I went out and I was walking around happy out that was grand and I remember just walking over the bridge there's a bridge in Middleton and I remember stopping on the bridge and I just looked over and I think that was never again the the intent to I never tried anything it was the the thought that was just very much there and I, I actually think I think I just went numb then that even that it was so strong and I'll never forget I walked home I was like I ran home as I was like, get in that door and like other people aren't as lucky as me you know other people are not as lucky as me because that thought can be so overwhelming and so so strong but I was thinking about nothing and I got in the door and I remember opening the door and Alex was standing there and he was so happy to see me he was oh man, he was like, you're back, did you get anything, where did you go? But I just, I was, at that time, I think I just got so overcome with guilt. I remember just going upstairs into the shower and my aunt actually arrived um, randomly. Now I don't believe anything happens by coincidence, but she arrived, she was after dropping her son to rugby and I said it to her at the table, I said, I'm kind of, I'm a bit afraid, I said, I'm just, I'm scared now that I even thought it, so... They were amazing. Like they were amazing. There was no question about it. I was taken, Stuart took me straight to the doctor the following morning. Um had great conversations there. I had massive support system around me at the time, you know, I had brilliant support in place. And that was it. It never came back. It never came back. It never came back, you know, it was never something. And I and I still from being in sessions and being in therapy and being in counselling and all those kind of things. I still firmly believe that I would have never acted on it you know but it just I wanted this to stop and that's what it is it's like you know it's that you don't want to end your life it's that you want this pain that you've gotten trapped inside your own head you want that to stop you know the voices
0: absolutely and and had you had therapy before that day yeah okay yeah. so you you had that support there as well that you could yeah. talk through.
1: Yeah, and I suppose I was very aware as well. I always had kind of an element of of kind of personal development, I suppose, from the the technician courses and from being even in beauty school and from working and stuff. And I just had a genuine interest in it. You know, I had a real genuine interest in it. And like, you know, even from people that I'd followed on Instagram, you know, there was a lot of awareness there. There was a massive amount of awareness there that unfortunately some people just don't don't have it you know they don't have that support so I'd always been in and out of like I I was never one to shy away from getting help if I needed it except that time in my life where I felt like I was losing full control over stuff and I had to be this person
0: and so through that support then three years ago obviously that's when you say your your real journey started with yourself and 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 like how did it start Neve? what did you decide to do first what was going to make the first big change for you?
1: I think for the first, after that moment, I think I went into this like self-preservation mode where I just, I went numb for weeks. Um, and then one day I, I'd i heard of life coaching and I'd heard of, you know, all of the, I needed to get out of where I was. I was like, you know, there's more in me, you know, like there's more in me. And I remember ringing a marvelous man called Ed Boland um, on a Friday evening. Um, And I'll be forever grateful. He's actually the owner of the college. Um, And never still at this stage, I still wasn't really presentable, you know, I still was kind of in that in that zone, I suppose, of like just learning how to take basic care of myself again. Um, to even have a shower you know it's Friday now when last I have a shower I can't remember I better have one today I couldn't be bothered you know that kind of way yeah. and I remember ringing him and just saying you know I don't know why I'm ringing you but I think I more rang him for help for for coaching for myself yes. and he said you know come way up to Silver Springs to the Clayton Hotel in the morning at nine o'clock and I said perfect I have an appointment so through the true. this true. speaking to him he kind of mentioned that a coaching course and I was like maybe that would be no harm for me because I would learn for myself yeah. you know I'd learn actually because I'm a massive learner I love learning so I was like if I could learn through it I might be I it might be better off than somebody trying to actually teach me you know um arrived Shannon when I think of it, like opened the door I was late because I couldn't find my way and I, you know, I just, you know, when you're in that stage, I was just all over the place. And I opened the door and I walked in and the whole classroom was sitting around. So I was like, what's happening here? So I sat down and that's grand. And that was it before I knew it. I was knee deep in becoming a personal development and executive leadership coach. Um, and afterwards I remember the day the class finished the first class but I met two amazing people that day that still I met Mary and I met Tom who's actually a psychotherapist and it's just amazing the way you meet people and I sat down and I started talking to Tom and we were doing coaching practices and he just opened my eyes and then I met Mary and we sat down and she was coaching me so we were role-playing you know yeah and I was like, this is wonderful, like, I was like, in, in an instant, they've made me see already so many things that I am that I thought that I wasn't, you know. And then afterwards, I stayed back with Ed and we spoke and he said, you know, now I hadn't paid a cent. <laughs> I hadn't. I was like immersed in this in this college course that like didn't even have a pen and a paper showing up, like, you know, and just and I, I remember saying to him afterwards, I said, why in the name of God did you tell me to come? And he was like, I gave you a place to be. You know, he said, if, if that's all you needed was a place to be. And I was like, I can't go home and tell my family that I'm after going back to college in the midst of all this madness. They'll think I'm gone mad. So I told my nine. I was like, I'll go down now and I'll tell my nine And she'll mind Alex for me tomorrow. So I did. I went down and, you know, she's a real, you go, girl. You know, if you think this is going to make you OK, you go for it. And if it doesn't work out, I'm here for you. Um. And she took Alex and then I just never stopped. I never stopped. Like, so I developed personally through, say, let's say the first six months, which were so raw when I look back now, you know, like that whole class had to actually experience me going through all of this, you know, like I was so loved, I was so supported, like I was like cocooned, like they literally just took me and embraced me with like this love and affection and it was just amazing and then I finished it but I knew when I finished it I was like I'm definitely not ready to help people so I actually put myself back into it again yeah as a coach instead of a coachee you know because I said always with the intent to do no harm so I knew there was so much still that I had to go through and develop myself before I went out and tried to help people you know I knew that I had things that I needed to do personally you know I needed more a little bit more upskilling I naturally gravitated towards CBT and I knew that would come out heavily in my practice so I wanted to do more qualifications in that Always keeping in touch with the college and then again like that one day just decided here I am this is it out of a plane without a parachute I'm ready to open and fully so I spent those 12 months you know cliche and all as it sounds the best project you'll ever work on is yourself my god is it what 100 percent.
0: it's not just coaching that has had an effect on on you and your mindset isn't it like you know movement is really important to you and your diet is very important to you yeah all of those elements all come together
1: Hugely, yeah, hugely, and I suppose even like that, you know, like movement and nutrition were something that I heavily abused through my eating disorder. You know, there was something that I didn't utilise at all, at all. So I went off and done certificates in nutrition, certificates in eating psychology to understand why I ate the way that I ate Why was I a comfort eater? What kind of eaters are we? Why do we move our body? You know psychological transformation through physical suffering getting all that serotonin you know finding all of like gathering literally just a bank of knowledge that when somebody came to me because I do believe what you put out there comes back you know so like people see me move people see me eat well people see me nourishment like what I do and how I fuel my body goes outside of aesthetics yeah everyone wants to feel good and look good but it's it's so far outside of aesthetics it's like okay am I eating enough fats for female function am I eating enough protein to get my hair to grow back after it fell out continuously from stress am I eating my carbohydrates for my cognitive for my energy for all of these things and that's I feel you know where I entered into that phase then was like there's so much more to movement and nourishment than fine-tuning your body in different ways, shapes, and forms, you know, and we can utilize it for so many more things. And this came from someone who went from all elements of extreme starvation to extreme building or in extreme binging to all elements to now somebody who's like, you know, I couldn't go a day without nourishing myself. I think it's like the plant on the window. I know that I'm feeding myself, I'm watering myself to grow
0: yeah 100% and actually having finished my coaching this year I'm like it is it's all about you first you can't unless you're 100% you can't be 100% for other people and where do you feel you are right now Where, where where are you now
1: my feet are firmly on the ground I think it's just you know I go to sleep fulfilled I wake up like you know I get up in the morning and I'm so creative. Like I wake naturally at quarter to five and I'm like, oh my God, this is the most creative time of my life. I could take on the world at this time of the morning. Now come eight o'clock at night, I'm like, don't nobody talk to me like a baby with a blankie. (laughs) Don't anybody look at me. But I suppose that I got to know myself. You know, I looked at my cycle. I looked at how I am through ovulation, through my luteal phase, what foods serve me, what don't serve me, where I'm going business-wise, has that pushed me into different avenues? You know, education, I come heavily in with education. Unless you don't want to learn about yourself and learn how to work with your body and with your mind, we're not gonna work well together. You know, because everybody has the ability to be the best possible version of themselves, but it's just that we're
0: disengaged from it, I think. And, And mostly the people that you work with now are in what area? I suppose kind of a lot of my,
1: like a lot of like self-esteem, confidence building, you know, there would be a lot like comfort eating, you know, utilizing food, um, movement, accountability. Um, I also fell into an amazing niche of like business business. Where which I wasn't ever expecting to fall into, where I fell in with salon owners and from having worked in that industry from years and years and years, you know. And it was funny because that executive mentoring side of my coaching course, I remember saying, I'll never use that. And Ed Boland said to me, the only time that you should ever put yourself into a box is when you're being buried. Don't go there. And now I find it like, you know, I have salons and I have business startups, you know. I have... I have people in a week that take their first shower and that open the doors of their new business, but I come to meet them. Wherever you are, I'll come to meet you and we'll work from there.
0: Coaching is coaching. And I'm a great believer that everybody needs some sort of coach in some way, shape or form. So as a coach then, if you could look back at the three and a half year ago, Niamh, what advice would you give her?
1: Oh, I think just ask. I think just just ask you know self-worth is a huge huge thing even that picture still if I look back at that picture of the girl sitting outside the cafe that day before she went to the doctor she just believed she was worthy of nothing yeah nothing and like that's what we and I like you know I feel that's what always needs to be looked at. There's a reason, and you'll see that even as well. you know like you could you could meet the top CEO of a company and still it could come back to the health, the low self-esteem, you know, or you could meet somebody who's completely at the opposite end of the spectrum. But it's like you are like, you know, you're human. like you are human, like you nobody deserves that treatment, least of all the treatment that you give yourself. you know, you're worthy of love, you're worthy of care, you're worthy of nourishment. You're worthy of moving your body. You know, it's it's that bullying. I think is like put the weapons down and stop bullying yourself.
0: Yes, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? Like you know, we talk bullying, and people always expect there to be another person involved, but actually, we're the hardest on ourselves.
1: The hardest. Oh my God, the the biggest critics, the biggest critics.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, geez, you know, it's such a lovely story, and you've you've just come through such a you know such such a long time mm-hmm. um and it is so lovely to watch now um and yeah you exude the energy and the confidence that other people need and and like I will say I know we're used to the zoom the camera and everything but some people come through the camera and you're yeah. certainly one of those people um and that's why my
1: clients think that as well I'm literally in (laughs) I'm like I'm trying to jump into them I'm like I'm trying I'm like did you just mention a goal there did I just hear something well well, let's get on that I love it but but I feel like now is like you know the way I feel like I belong but I belong to nobody but myself
0: yes that's how I feel and it's so funny anybody that's been listening to this series of Bebel, especially today, actually, the three ladies that I've interviewed today, um, the message is the same. You know, we have to believe in ourselves. We have to be confident. We have to ask for help when we need it. We have to be Well, some people aren't as comfortable as being as open and talking as much. But if you can talk a little, it will make a big difference. And
1: there's no shame. Like, there's absolutely no no shame. Like, And I think even like today, I've said things today that nobody has ever heard, you know, and I always knew there would come a day where I would, I suppose people sometimes look at me and think, God almighty, she's robotic. Like, I wouldn't, you know, like even I remember a client one day, she was like, do I have to get up at five o'clock in the morning and cook my food? I was like, no, you don't. I was like, that's me. I was like, that's not you at all, at all. I was like, don't compare yourself. I said, and I always say, you know, people will say, God, you're great to get up at five o'clock in the morning. I'm like, there's a reason that I am the way that I am. And I suppose I always want pe- I wanted people to know, but there was never the correct platform to share it on. And then when you approached me last week, I was like, yes, 100%. I was like, This is, this is exactly, it's the safe space, I think.
0: Yeah, it's a good, you. yeah, I've, I, you know, and, and I've been sharing here for a while and uh, and I always feel safe. You attract in life um, what you receive and, um, yeah, I will say, you know, if you follow Dickhead, you're probably a dickhead. Exactly. <laughs> but, um, listen, let's finish with a couple of questions from the jar. Lovely. Um, so, OK, so what is the one thing that you cannot live without? What is the one thing that I cannot live without?
1: Oh, my God, that's that's difficult. My imagination.
0: Good answer. (laughs) I love it. answer. And then finally, oh, I like this one. This actually, this might be a hard one for you because I know you're quite regimented with your food, but what is your favourite brunch? My favourite, or
1: toast. The Bebel brunch, that eggs and all those kind of things, yeah. Nardo. Yeah, okay. a bit of bacon a bit of poached egg, a bit of sourdough bread can't go wrong, followed oh, by a friarashe and a cup of tea, I wouldn't say no
0: to that <laughs> amazing well I hope that we'll be having brunch very very soon and we'll be back in Brown Thomas with this, their beautiful sourdough brunch breakfast Neve, um, thank you so much for joining me today and thank you for sharing, I really appreciate it
1: thanks for having me, thanks for creating the space